I appreciate all of you who've uh, wished me a happy birthday. My birthday's actually tomorrow. And I know we celebrated a few of us, the pastors and I, our birthdays. And I just appreciate I've been getting these. I've been getting cards and, and uh, texts and emails and Facebook things. And my birthday's actually tomorrow. So it's been kind of weird because I've been having a birthday for two weeks. I got a card from my parents I wanted to share with you. It says, um, 50 years is a long time. It says, do you realize that when you were a kid, remote meant a secluded spot off the beaten path? Which is true. I was the remote when I was a kid. I remember that. And cable was something that supported a bridge. And a video game was trying to make out the fuzzy images on a snowy black and white 12-inch TV screen. And a cell phone was what you used to make a call, your one phone call from jail. And uh, a calculator was the accountant who did your taxes. I actually remember my dad bringing home a calculator. I remember that. And it was pretty big, and it was really cool. And it was Texas Instruments. And, and then we were all thinking, well, man, that's cool. We don't have to learn math, because anyway... And an airbag was some guy who talked too much, and digital computing was counting on your fingers, and high-speed access was an on-ramp to the freeway, and surfing was something done on a board in an ocean. So that's actually for my parents. I appreciated their perspective on that. There is a lot of truth in that. And then I found this screen here. It says, I'm not 50, I'm 18 with 32 years experience. That actually made me feel old reading that, because I feel like I'm closer to 18, and I'm so not. And then it dawned on me yesterday that, okay, tomorrow's my birthday, I'll be 50, and then Friday, I'll be closer to 100 than when I was born. That's bizarre, too. So anyway, <clears throat> that's where I'm at. Somebody asked me if I feel old, and I did feel old coming back from men's retreat, actually on Sunday the next day, because it was just a late night. You know, We stayed for the service, a lot of us, Saturday night, and then drove home after that. And um, you know, I got home at one, you know, and then you're kind of, you know, I had to drink coffee to stay awake, so I didn't go right to sleep, and so I probably had three or four hours of sleep Sunday, and I felt tired. Isn't that weird? Do you remember when you could stay up all night? It was no big deal. Remember? Okay. All right. It's just not just me, but yeah. You're, you're with me? Okay. And this is probably a good time to share with you. I, I do have a heart condition, and you know, when you get 50, they start checking this stuff more often. And I've had it my whole life. And there's been times where it's, you know, affected me more than other times. And it's been something, you know, it's one of those things where even though I had it since I was born, it didn't really start affecting me till I was aware of it, you know? And then you try to fight it, but you can't because it's part of who you are. And then you, you know, sometimes you try to do things that work against it or work for it. And then there's other times where you just realize... It's just, I guess, who I am. I mean, I don't want to accept it, but it is, you know, who I am. And then I think about it too. You know, I try to hide it. Certainly, try to hide it from other people because I don't want to. I don't want people to know, you know, what I struggle with. Anybody else like that? Just me? Okay. You know, we can be a little interactive here. It's not like Sunday morning where. All right. Well, and it's something that's. Um, I know that it. I don't want it to run my life. But there's times where I don't have any control over that. It does. And I also know this, that this heart condition is something that um, keeps me from living the way God wanted me to live. I really feel like that. It's a limitation on me. And um, I've asked God to take it away, and he hasn't done it. Do you feel comfortable elaborating a little bit about the condition? I sure do. It's a heart condition. 
but it's not just mine. I was kind of messing with you because it's really the same heart condition you all have and it's called sin. Sin is something that we all struggle with and we all have. And it doesn't matter if you're a Christian and you've been a Christian for a long time or you're 50 or not. I was just messing with you. The fact is that we all struggle with this and this heart condition of sin is something that you walk around with and it is always with you. And I don't care how many times you pray for God to take it away. It's not going to go away. It doesn't work like that. And it does limit you from living the kind of life that God intended for you to live. And it's something that, it's something that, that as much as you try, you're going to have, and it's going to go with you. And here's the thing. It's something that we all deal with. And if you don't be honest about it, it's going to sneak up on you and kill you. And if you act like it's not there, that doesn't change the fact that it's there. It's always going to be there. It's scary that way. And it's freaky that way because it's always there. It's real. It controls everything that we are. Sin. There's a pressure that comes with sin from without, from the outside. And I think a lot of us would like to think that's the only place it comes from. And certainly the world kind of has that attitude and they try to get themselves off the hook by saying it's, it's, it's on the outside and it's not my fault. But the truth is it comes from within as well. And it's something that controls you from within that you're going to have to be honest about. The sad thing about sin is it's, it's really, a, it's, it's clever and it's deceptive. It promises freedom, but, but it doesn't really give you freedom. What it gives you is, is slavery. It, it promises pleasure, but the pleasure doesn't go on forever and it's not always satisfied. In fact, it produces a desire in us, sin does, that can never really be satisfied. And the more you, the more you give into it, the more it cripples you. And the more you give into it, the more you want. There's this law of diminished returns that we all live with all the time. And I know you're familiar with this. It's as if the more you want, the more you want. The more you get, the more you want. And you never can get enough. And that's how we are. And there's open sin and hidden sin. And we all have it. And so often it's easy to point to the open sin because it's obvious, but then there's the hidden sin, which is just as cancerous and just as dangerous. In fact, I, I, would, I would venture to say it's more dangerous uh, I don't know if you've ever been around anybody with, with a sore that's open and it's gross, isn't it? Right? Sin is like that. But it's worse if it's inside because a lot of times if it's inside, people don't deal with it and it's killing them from the inside and they don't even know. It's more than that though. Some sin is overt. We, we do it on purpose and it's outside and then some sin is by omission, sin that you, you should have done what you knew you should have done, but you didn't do it. And you withheld action, and that is sin. Yeah, I'm sorry, but you can't be Switzerland here. It doesn't work that way. You have to make a choice, and you have to engage. You don't get credit for just not doing anything. Sin is real. And sometimes sin is sin because you didn't act, or you didn't speak, 
The world would like to tell us that sin is subjective, that Jerry can't decide for me what sin is. That's how the world would like it to be. And and they want to make up all the rules for themselves, and they want to define, and here's what we do in, in the world, and we do it ourselves as Christians sometimes. We define sin in such a way that it's not sin for us, even though you don't have that choice, because the fact is, sin is sin, and no matter how you define it, it's still real. It's like, it's like somebody saying, you know what? Gravity doesn't apply to me. Guess what? I don't care what you say about that. It still applies to you. It's still real. Some people buy into this whole lie about dualism. What I mean by that is to say that there's bad on one side, good on one side, and they're equal, and they're opposites of each other, and you've got the devil, and he's equal to God, and they just kind of wrestle for dominance kind of a yin-yang concept. That cheapens it too, because that's not real either. There really is a real sin, and it's real. Some people make the excuse that it's just natural. I can't help it. I mean, we all do it, right? As if that justifies and makes it okay. It's as if you say, I'm just being human, or I'm just a guy, or girls will be girls. (laughs) Or some people say, don't judge me. You don't have any right to tell me what's right and wrong. And I don't want to hear what you think about what's right and wrong. Someone came in my office this week, actually, and um, she has some really good friends. They were good friends in high school, but now they're not as good of friends. And she's aware of some things going on in their lives. And she said, hey, can we get together? And they said, well, that's, yeah, as long as you don't judge me. <laughs> and we put conditions on friendships. But we, we do that, don't we? And we try to guard ourselves from from what other people might say that might make us uncomfortable and might expose the things that we're doing that we know aren't quite right. And we, we tend to stay with people who are safe because we know that they won't judge us. <laughs> Some sins are private. And people say, it's none of your business. It's just what I'm doing in my private. It doesn't hurt anybody. It doesn't hurt anything. Just leave me alone. Unfortunately, you don't get to make the rules. The fact is that there's a world out there that is happening no matter how you frame it, no matter how you try to disguise it. Sin is real and we all own it. Just like that heart condition I was talking about, you were born with that. And I want to take us through for a few minutes a definition of what sin is. And this is no way exhaustive. It would take us months to go through what scripture has to say about sin. And there's a good reason for that. This book, this book is, it's not just a rule book. It's a guidebook. This is a guidebook sent by God himself to show you how to have a relationship with him, to show you how to mend a relationship with him. It's a guidebook for that. He gave us this because he cares about us. That's why if you were to actually go through and talk about all the scriptures that refer to sin or sinfulness or shortcomings, it would take months. Why? Because he wants a relationship with you and he wants to show you how to build and bond it and make it go right again. So let's go back to the beginning here just a little bit. Paul talks about this in the book of Romans. He says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death was spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Now, I have literally had probably two or three people tell me, that's not fair. 
You know what I said? You're right. You know what I wanted to say? Well, actually, the fair's in Sedalia once a year. And you know what? Life's not fair. I'm sorry. I, you, it's not fair. And, and if you're just realizing that life's not fair, wow. I'm glad you realized it now because it doesn't get any more fair. And you know what? You're right. That's not fair. But that is how it is. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist or a social scientist or any kind of scientist to know this is true. Anybody who's had kids, seen kids, you see it in them from the beginning. Yes, they're sweet and lovable, and your kids are the most beautiful kids that have ever existed, or your grandkids. I, I agree. But as you watch them interact, it doesn't take very long before you start hearing mine and no and fighting and the selfishness that in that little tiny person is right inside of us as well as grown-up persons. And we do the same thing, whether it's on the freeway in our cars or with our money or with our husbands or our wives, we do the exact same thing. We just, it's, it's more mature. And you're right, this is not fair. But you know what? It is how it is. Adam sinned and passed that on to us. In another part of Romans, Paul says, everyone has sinned. And if you want fair, if fair to you means equal, then you should be more comfortable with this concept at least because we are all on at least the same playing field and just as guilty. All of us have fallen short of God's glorious standard. I love to, Paul writes in Ephesians, we are all by nature children of wrath. All of us, all of us. Now, some people want to believe that people are basically good and I get it. Yeah, we want to be all nice and rainbows and unicorns. Awesome. It's just not real. I'm sorry. It's not. This is what's real. This is who we are. And, and if you haven't seen that yet, then you need to wake up to that. Let's take a look back at Adam and Eve. And, and I know it's not fair, but let's take a look at it for a second. Adam and Eve chose to sin. Now, we're not going to read through the story, but I, I want to remind you the story just a little bit. God set them in perfection, and he told them, you can have anything in this garden except for this one tree, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's it. Don't eat of that. Why did he tell them that? He wanted to protect them. He wanted to protect them from what that would do to them. Why did he even place it there? I don't know. I don't know. C.S. Lewis says that he thinks that he placed it there because that would make them innocent rather than just ignorant. Let me help you understand what he means by that. What he meant was, what he was basically telling them, he could have told them anything. He could have told them, don't go to that island or don't, don't touch this one thing or that thing or whatever, but it just happened to be a tree. The idea was that they would have had the choice to disobey and chose not to. Up until that point, they would have just been ignorant, but when they made the choice to obey, that would have made them innocent. Instead, what happened is the enemy came as a serpent and he started to get them to doubt God's character and God's goodness and God's will and intent for them. And he told Eve. Now, if you look at that story, it's an interesting twist to think of it like this. What did he do? I mean, if you look at scripture carefully there, and I'm not saying this is exactly how it was, but if God told that to Adam and then maybe Adam told it to Eve, I don't know. But Eve was deceived, it clearly says. And that Eve was enticed. And then when she turned to Adam, it doesn't say necessarily that he was deceived, does it? I think he chose to sin. But regardless, both of them chose to sin. They chose sin. 
<clears throat> the results were immediate. Now, of course, the enemy lied to them and said, God told you that you will surely die, but you're not going to die. The devil's a good liar. Remember, Jesus said he's the father of all lies. I mean, what's a good lie? A good lie has a thread of truth in it. You know, I was, <laughs> you always see this in a movie or something or somebody in a note or whatever. You know, mom uh, wrecked the car, you know, on and on and on, you know, and the, you know, whatever. And then mom's all upset and are you okay? Is everything all right? And then all it was, was he got to be on a test, right? So there's a little lie in there, but you stretch it back. And the enemy, what did he lie about? He made her think that she was going to physically die. But what she didn't probably realize is that the physical process of death probably started then. I mean, who knows? Adam and Eve were probably created to live forever, but that stopped then. But not only that, that wasn't the only immediate effects and the death that entered into the, the death, the worst death probably was what entered into the relationship, the separation, the death of the relationship between them and God. Not only that, the death of the relationship between the two of them, because look at what happens to them. All of a sudden, their self-conscious of, of who they are and the nakedness that they're in. Do you remember when God came later in, the, in Genesis 3, 8, and he sa- the Bible says that he's walking through the garden and he calls out and he says, where are you? And then Adam comes and he says, who told you you were naked? Before that, they were completely innocent and comfortable with each other. And now that's changed. All trust was shattered. That is death. That's what sin does. And it crept in in the garden and spread to all of us. Think about how little trust we have as human beings for one another. Even the person you trust the most. Think about the blame that started in the garden and continues on to today. What what did Adam do? First thing he does is throw Eve under the bus. It's that woman you gave me. She did it. It's pathetic, spineless, no responsibility. Can't even take responsibility for the fact that he chose to sin. She was deceived and he chose sin. What is it really? It's so many things. This is such a small list, very short list. But as I read through this list, I just want you to think about what's inside of you. Now, you are all wonderful people. I know that. Beautiful Christian people, far better than me. And that's not why I'm reading you this list. I'm reading the list because this is real. This is, this is what sin is. Sin, sin shows itself in so many ways, and it started so early. Think about the sin of pride and what that really means. Think about the affront that pride is to God himself. I mean, we as, as human created beings, we stand in awe of a great God, but what we do more often is we end up in pride and, and arrogance and a self-centeredness where we put ourselves at the center of the universe rather than God himself. We put ourselves in the place where he should belong. And we do that over and over and over. And you learn to do that as an infant. Think about the way, I know this sounds cruel, but the way an infant learns to manipulate. Cry, because I want mama. Cry, because I'm hungry. Cry, because I need changed. And, And I know that that's normal and necessary for a child to be cared for, but it doesn't end there. I know you have seen this, not in your own children, of course, but maybe at the mall or at Walmart and watching a child manipulate a grown person by crying or sniveling or pouting or whatever they do to get what they want. That manipulation starts at the very beginning and it never ends. We just do it over and over and over to get what we want, to put ourselves in the place that God should have been. The bottom line of sin is basically a disobedience. That's how I told you that C.S. Lewis describes it. 
And I really think that that's the root of it. It had nothing to do with the tree. People ask, what do you think that fruit was? Pomegranate? I don't, I don't know. I don't even care. That has nothing to do with the point. The point is disobedience. God gave them one thing to follow and they didn't do it. How many times have your kid, you said to your own children, I told you to do one thing. I asked you to do this one thing. You couldn't do this one thing? <laughs> Lies. Think about the sin of lying and how deeply that hurts and wounds each other. And all lies. I'm talking about lying where you, you're, you're deceptive. Think about unfaithfulness. Don't these words hurt just saying them? And this is such a small portion. I know as I even read this word unfaithfulness, maybe, maybe that rockets your mind back to maybe a family member who experienced divorce or maybe, maybe a, a, a failed relationship of your own or maybe somebody at work who stabbed you in the back or that friend you thought was your friend at school who... Deceit. Wow. Misleading somebody. The idea that you're not quite lying, but you're definitely taking people around the other way. God says these things are detestable. That word detestable, it's such a power-packed word. We don't even use that, do we? I mean, when was the last time you said, I detested that? You, you, okay, Jerry may have used it. I haven't. I, I don't know if I've ever used that word in, in normal conversation. That word appears in scripture numerous times related to specific sin. And it says that for God, these sins are detestable. You think, wow. Why, why do you think one of those sins that he mentions is detestable is hypocrisy? And you can see it in the life and work of Jesus. I mean, who did he have the, the most harsh things to say to? Those were Christian leaders who were hypocrites. Not Christian leaders, Jewish leaders, Jewish religious leaders who should have been modeling true righteousness, and yet they were hip hypocrites. Jesus had the most harsh statements for them. One of the things that God calls detestable is hypocrisy. Let me take you to Proverbs. Six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, getting back to the pride. Lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness that pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. The New Living Translation says, at the end there, it says, a person who stirs up conflict in the family. Or, or the same thing as dissension, right? Yeah, oh yeah, and, this, and the King James says dissension. Think about this for a minute. Think about it. There are a lot of lists of sins I could have showed you tonight. I could have showed you list after list after list. And none of these lists are intended to be comprehensive, even this list. But what I wanted to point out using this list for you tonight is the fact that something like stirring up conflict is something you see all the time, don't you? I mean, the best sitcoms are made of that and the dramas we watch at night. The sad thing is when that drama becomes part of our life or something that we're living through, and God sees it as sin, and he calls it detestable. Dennis, could you elaborate on haughty eyes? Oh, I don't know. Haughty eyes, I think that's just pride and how people act prideful and full of themselves, and that's what I think it's talking about. When you look upon someone else and you have malice. Or you no, it's not. Unspoken no, it's malice. This. Yeah, 
See, why don't you do that for everybody? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, haughty eyes is about pride and, and thinking you're better than other people. Yeah. So what about you as Christians? I assume you're all Christians. I know you are. And I know that as Christians, some of you might be sitting here, Pastor Dennis, we know all this stuff, heard it before, sin, sin, yeah, sin, we happen sometimes. But the thing is, about sin and Christians is, I know that you and I, we try to live above this. As I was saying with the heart condition, I've asked God to remove it a number of times. And there's times where it's ruled my life more than others. And there's times where I've worked actively against it more than others. And as a Christian, there's times where it sneaks up on you. And if you ignore it, it still kills you. And there's times as a Christian where it's underneath the skin and just festering. And it's causing a worse problem than had it been opened and taken care of. Let's take a look again at Paul in the, in the, in the book of Romans in chapter 7. He, he expresses something here in these verses that that I think, I think is a good way to just ex- describe how many of us as Christians feel. So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself. For what I, I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to point out something here. Paul is not writing this as a baby Christian. You realize that, right? He'd already planted numerous churches. And this is one of his later letters. And I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. I like the NIV says, oh, what a wretched man I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? I want to challenge you as Christians. Don't blame God because you know James. Well, let's go to Romans first. But for the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Paul writes a lot about this war inside of ourselves, a sinful nature against the spirit and how those two war against one another. James says, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. What about Christians? Hmm. Some things you need to know about sin. It's (laughs) self-replicating. It's like... It's like the worst virus there ever was. Did you know I, I had a microbiology class when I was in college? And one of the first things they talked about is how to define life. And they said that a virus actually defies all definitions of life because it doesn't need oxygen. I mean, all these little things about it. And then it self-replicates. It doesn't need another you know, male, female. It just, it just spreads. Sin is like that. And sin begets more sin. 
And one sin leads to another sin. Have you noticed that in your life? And when you let, allow one sin to grow, ultimately you're having to deal with a lot more other sins because they do that over and over. Something else I think you really need to pay attention to as Christians is same is not always the same. I think words are very important and definitions of words. And I think there's times where we say things, we, we know what we mean, but we didn't actually say what we meant. And it's popular to say something like all sin is the same. That's true, but it's not true. It's true in the sense that all sin is punishable by death for all of sin falls short of the glory of God and, and the wages of sin is death. That in that sense, it's true, but it's not all the same. And you know that, you know that. I mean, we all have this kind of idea that the punishment should fit the crime. And the truth is that, that, you know, sin in the Bible is defined with different penalties and sexual sin is talked about how that's a sin against the body as the temple of the Holy Spirit. And how could you, you know, join the, the, your body with the harlot and joining Christ with the harlot? I mean, it, there are differences in sin. There's different consequences with different sins. Don't fall into the trap of acting as if, oh, it's all the same. It's not all the same. Different sin has different consequences. Different sin ruins lives more than other sin. However, they are the same in the sense that all sin needs to be forgiven. That is the same. I think as Christians, you need to be very careful about this as well, because it's easy for us to point at people in the world and say, oh, look at them. They're in sin and their conscience has been seared. I love that phrase. Because you, know, you get it, right? I mean, as people sin over and over and over, it's easier for them to sin. They don't feel as guilty. And ultimately, they lose that, that sensitive conscience that at one time told them what was right and what was wrong. But Christians do the same thing. Just a little different scale, isn't it? What I want you to hear tonight is sin is still sin. God still looks at sin as wrong. It's still wrong. Whatever that is for you. I believe that even as a Christian, you can develop a hardness towards sin and an insensitivity to certain things. It's as if we exempt ourselves from certain sins. It's okay for me to talk about them because I'm doing it for the good of the church. Whatever it may be. Have you noticed that sinners provoke other people to sin? Have you noticed that? Hurt people hurt people. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. And then when they're hurt, the other people sin. And have you noticed this sad thing that sinners often scar and wound innocent people and cripple them in the future and they end up repeating those cycles? It's uncomfortable to talk about sin, isn't it? You didn't come to church tonight to be told about all your sin. I know that. But sometimes we need to hear things we don't want to hear and it's uncomfortable. The, the truth is we're in the same place together. All of us, all have sinned. I am the least among you and I'm not standing here as someone saying that I'm perfect and you need to raise yourself up to this level where there's no sin. <laughs> but my question to you tonight, between you and God, where are you falling short? I like that version, that new lim the, the New Living Translation version of uh, Romans 3.23 We've all fallen short, short of God's glory. Do you, do you realize that as perfect as you may be and as good a Christian as you may be, you're still falling short? I was in church one day and this preacher was going and he was talking about this concept and he was saying, 
You've overcome your greed? Great. And then he went on to talk about other sins that you may have overcome. And then he used this phrase that I'll never forget because I, I mean, I don't think there's, uh, anyway, he said, for every new level, there's a new devil. <laughs> of course, in my mind, I'm thinking wings, pitchfork, what do you, what do we, okay. But the point is true. And here's how it is. I find that the more close I get to God, the more I see other things in me that need perfected. You will never be as perfect as he wants you to be. You just won't be. And I don't say that to say that, that it's, that's impossible. It's not worth trying. What I'm saying is that be on guard because as you as a Christian, as you start to work through these issues and issues you may have and clean up one thing, just beware. There's going to be something else that God needs to deal with you on. And if you really want to be close to him, your heart will remain tender and open and you will say, God, show me. If you, like me, have grown up in the church and you've heard all the stories of David, I prefer to think of the David, you know, in Goliath, right? I don't so much like hearing about the David and Bathsheba because it really bothers me that this king of Israel who had everything and was so amazing fell so horribly to take another man's wife and then have that man killed and then to know that he knew that man kills me. I heard someone say recently, whoever you think you are in God, you're no better than David. You're not better than him. And you're still susceptible to falling. And, and here's the thing about that. Um, when I have God and I, I want to pray to him, I think about how could he be a man after God's own heart and have fallen so miserably over and over and over. I'll tell you how it was. Because he, in the midst of all that, somehow his heart was still tender toward God. And he still prayed a prayer that said, search me, O God, and know my ways. If there's any wicked way in me. Can you pray that prayer? Because when you pray that prayer honestly and you open your heart to God that way, then he's going to show you something you may not want to see. But it's something that he wants you to work on. So is your heart soft toward him tonight? Or have you kind of had the attitude, I got this, I got this, it's all good. <laughs> Might you be in a little denial that you're above all this and you've... Denial is a scary thing, isn't it? Denial is kind of like, um, it's, it's kind of like, you know, uh, you know people who are, um, you, you can't even see it. It's like, I, I don't even see, the, it's like a blind spot that you don't see yourself. It's like, you know, when you've got some parsley in your teeth or something and you're just chatting away and everybody's staring, nobody has the nerve to tell you, <laughs> right? Or that lady who walks out the bathroom with the toilet paper trailing behind. She didn't even know. Sometimes as Christians, we're like that. So my questions to you tonight are this. Sin keeps you from your potential in Christ. Just like if I did have a heart condition, it would keep me from potential. Same thing is with you. Having that kind of sin keeps you from the relationship that God wants you to be. It, it clouds and interrupts that relationship between you and him in so many different ways. There's things that God would like you to do or like to do in you that he can't do right now because you need to take care of some things between you and him. 
Sin changes your reality. It's almost as if you're looking through, a, through funny glasses or something and what you're seeing isn't even real. It's not the real thing because sin has clouded what you see. It dulls your thinking. I wanna take us to one last scripture here. Uh, I'm gonna to get to it here in a second here. Oh, well, let's, you know what? I'm sorry. Let's go back for one second. Sin isn't, I don't want us to, to be confused and think sin is just an act we do. It's also an attitude. This is another thing I think Christians stumble with, and it's something that, that really uh, Jews actually teach, and that is that sin is only sin when it's acted upon. They don't, they don't have that concept in Judaism of sin being something that's in the heart. That's one of the reasons when Christ taught in the Sermon on the Mount, it was so revolutionary because he taught actually sin started in the heart. They didn't believe that. They thought sin was only what was acted upon. And as Christians, I think we've, we practically act that way, even though you may say you don't believe it, but we do that. We say, oh, I'm not having an affair, but Jesus said if you look upon a woman with lust in your heart, Matthew 5, 28, that you've committed adultery with her already. It's a heart issue for him. That's why I called it a heart condition because that's what it is. It's not just about what you do. It's about what's happening here. It's the heart thing that separates you and him. Be careful about comparisons. And I, I know what you're thinking first is what I would have thought first as well. And that is we all compare ourselves to Pastor Newby. That's not what I'm talking about. That's too obvious. That's not the comparison I'm talking about. The comparison I'm talking about is how there's honor among thieves. You familiar with that concept? They're so proud of themselves that they wouldn't dare rat out somebody and they're a thief. We do the same thing, don't we? We're proud of our success in one area, but we're sinning in another. Be careful of that. Sin is real. Jesus said something to Peter that really freaks me out sometimes. He says, he said, the devil asked to sift you like wheat, but don't worry, I prayed for you. That's creepy, isn't it? Isn't it creepy? Peter had a price on his head, but guess what? Every single one of us do. Every one of us. Every one of you. The truth is that the, the enemy, he wants to tear you down. He wants to tear down every Christian and take you to hell. That's what he wants to do. That's his goal. And if you're a father, even more so, because he knows if he gets you, he can get your kids. A mom, same thing. He wants to take you down. A church leader, oh, excellent. He's got a target on your head. So here's that last verse I wanted to talk about. First Peter, stay alert. Stay alert. Christians, this is for you. Stay alert. Don't become complacent. Don't think that you're above it all. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour and that someone is you. Shut your eyes for just a moment, if you would. Pastor Nick, would you come and, and lead us for a second? With your eyes closed and your heads bowed for just a moment, I want you to just think about this, and I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. Have you maybe been in denial? Is there maybe something that, that you've toyed with? I can't tell you enough how... So I've been praying about this sermon for the last three weeks and just feel like God has said over and over and over, tell them that sin is real. It's real 
and it's dangerous and the enemy is after every one of us. Every one of us. So what is it for you that, that God is dealing with you about? I love that our God is an infinite personal God and that means that he can be having a conversation with every single one of us about our specific need at this very moment. So for the next minute, I just want you to be in quiet and I want you to be honest with him enough to ask him that question. Just say, search me, O God, and know my heart today. See if there is any wicked way in me. Just tell him that and let's listen to him for a minute.